Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. So the Q&A episodes are really popular, and since I moved it to a written format, you guys submitted so many questions that I decided to come back and do another Q&A episode today, this week. I know I did one last week, but I got so many questions that I want to make sure that I can answer as many as I can. So here we are. But before I dive into the questions, I want to um, let you guys know that next week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, April 11th, 12th, and 13th, I will be doing a Facebook Live workshop. It's going to be like a three-day thing. Um, I'm going to go live in my Facebook group, the Should I Stay or Should I Go Facebook group. If you're not in there, get in there now so that you don't miss this because I will only be doing it there. And it will be uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And the, the, the title of the series is going is should I stay or should I go? (laughs) And on Monday, I will tackle the question about he's a great guy. He's a great dad. What's wrong with me? On Tuesday, I'm going to talk about is this abuse? I think I talk about that so much, but there are some things that I think um, are important to talk about and to delineate, you know, in terms of what is abuse, what isn't abuse. And sometimes there's some shocking differentiations in there that I think is that are are important. So I'm going to talk about that on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, I'm going to talk about is the grass greener on the other side? Because so many people when they're contemplating staying or going, they really are looking at like, well, okay, what does it look like over there? (laughs) Like, can I get a preview? And so yes, you can get a preview. We're going to talk about uh, that on Wednesday. So that's uh, the 11th, 12th, and 13th. It will be live in the Facebook group. All of the videos will be saved in the group until, mm, I think, April 20th, and then we're going to take them down. Um, Don't quote me on that. I don't have my calendar in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. So they'll be there live. They'll be there pinned in the announcements um, for about a week. And then we're going to take them down. So if you can show up live, you can ask me questions and I will answer them in real time. Um, and if you can't show up live, again, they'll be pinned, but you'll only have a week to rewatch them. So that's what I want to tell you about today. And now I'm going to get into the Q&A. The first question is, hi, Kate. My question is about how to talk to slash what to say to your kids during the divorce process when leaving an emotionally and psychologically abusive marriage. I'm already separated and the kids know general stuff like we're getting divorced, we worked hard to make the marriage work, etc. But there are things that I can't tell them in order to respect their relationship with him. But also, there is a gap of information I think they feel. 
How do I let them know I am taking a stand and that his behavior is not okay while respecting their relationship with him and also knowing he would be pissed if I told them more and then would start telling them, quote, his version? Oh, I feel you on this one. I struggled with this. I got to tell you, I struggled with this for so long and I relate to this problem and I really relate to the agony. And I often talk about it as I actually called Christina McGee um, myself. I was like, I'm having an issue and I need to talk this through. And it was basically this, which is how do I not essentially gaslight my kid um, while also not throwing his father under the bus, right? Because my my son was like asking things, right? Because he's not dumb and he's 16. So I don't know what, t- what how old your children are, the person who submitted this. I think the best thing that you can do is, there, there it is a straddle, right? It is a straddle between they're asking more questions because there is a gap of information and acknowledging that there is a gap of information and say, listen, I understand that it may be confusing because you feel like there's some information missing and maybe you don't have the answers to all of your questions. And I, and I understand that that's really frustrating and confusing. And also there are certain things that are really grown up issues and that we're just not going to talk about right now. And maybe when you're older, certainly if they're younger, um, maybe when you're older, I'll be able to answer these questions a little bit more specifically. But there is stuff that goes on between grownups that can be a little confusing for kids. And again, I know you want the answers and I know you want information. Um, but I've given you as much information as I can give you. Um, grown-up relationships are complicated and sometimes they don't make any sense. And believe me, I feel the same way, <laughs> you know. Um, so it's a lot of empathizing, but also boundary setting, right? There are things that are just simply not appropriate for children to hear and understand. Now, the difference is if they start asking very specific questions, right? Because you're not going to offer up the information. I know it's really hard for you to understand. And there's a gap of information. But what really happened was that your dad was abusive, right? You can't say that. And when and if they come to you and say, hey, mom, as my son did, did dad like cheat on you? I'm not going to lie. And I, and I said to him, and this is what I, one of the things that I, I checked in with Christina McGee about. And I said, you know, that was one of the issues in our marriage. I kind of, you know, I left it at that and, and, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, That must be really confusing and hard for you to hear. Um, And I am happy to talk with you about your, you know, your feelings about that further. My son started asking questions about narcissism. He was really, you know, he was putting a lot of dots together in the last couple of years. I just had to be honest. I answered his questions. And then I was like, you know, how does, you know, if you have any more questions about that, I know that's probably confusing. That that might be really hard for you to hear. Uh, So I didn't offer the information, but I did answer his questions honestly because he was starting to feel these things about his father in his own relationship. And if I was to say to him, no, 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 honey, then I'd be gaslighting him. Then he would be like, oh, I'm having those feelings, but I guess they're wrong. 
So I guess there's something wrong with me. And that's not okay. So when children ask things specifically, particularly because they've figured it out for themselves and they've actually seen it, you have to be honest with them. But we don't need to offer more information than is appropriate. So I hope that makes sense. And again, this is actually very age dependent, right? It is not developmentally appropriate to have this conversation with a six-year-old. Um, and I'll tell you what, six year, my son was the kind of six-year-old who literally did not take, well, that's a grown-up thing for an answer. He pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. He is a, an inc- he's incredibly smart and incredibly inquisitive and really doesn't, doesn't accept just like a small answer. He's like, no, 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 there's more there. What is it? And he's been like that since he was like two. So it, it was a very delicate balance to walk with him. But um, so, you know, again, younger kids, you want to sort of give them less information. Older kids, if you feel like they are already feeling things and asking about specific things, then you need to not lie to them because that is gaslighting and you can't gaslight your kids. All right, next question. Switching gears completely. How do you know your new relationship is healthy? After divorcing a huge narcissist, I feel like I'm on guard and putting past hurt onto the new man who seems very true and honest and kind. But I find it hard to trust him and myself fully. I don't want to sabotage a great relationship. I think this is such a good question. You know, one of the red flags for me here is that I feel like I'm on guard and putting past hurt onto the new man. And so that tells me that you may not be ready for a new relationship. And I'm sorry to say that. And (laughs) if you really have been in a lot of therapy and you have really worked through your trauma and this is, you know, and you are taking responsibility for your stuff and taking it back to therapy and really working on it. That's how you get past this. That is how, you know, it is not a healthy relationship if you are constantly second guessing and you don't trust him and you don't trust yourself and you're, you're projecting your past hurts onto him and you are not able to trust him. If you're not able to trust someone new, it's not a healthy relationship. So, My guess is you have a lot more work to do. And listen, you guys, I hate to tell you this, but it takes a lot longer than we think to truly heal from narcissism and or abuse. Um, It is such a consistent mindfuck for so long that at first we feel like we are just so fucking grateful to be out of there. And we're so excited to be in something new and we want to feel good about ourselves and we want someone to love us and all of that stuff. And then it's when we get into these relationships that we're like, I actually don't think I know how to do this yet. That makes perfect sense. Because if you were married to your narcissist for, you know, I, I, I don't know how long, but, you know, in my case, I was, I was with him for 10 years. That's like, that's a decade of confusion and gaslighting and just complete chaos, mental and emotional chaos. And it's, it takes a lot 
to heal from that. A lot, a lot of therapy and a lot of time and a lot of research and work and understanding, right? It was literally, you guys, I mean, my healing, I've been out for 13 years and it's only in the last couple of years that I've really started to have a, like an even, I think an even better and deeper understanding of the chaos and, um, and the trauma. I was functioning in it and I was, I was functional. I was fine until I wasn't, you know, last year, I think I told you guys, you guys know this, that I went, had to go to the meadows for, um, a week for trauma because of really, because there was still so much there. So that's, you know, that's 12 years after the fact. It sounds to me like there's still some healing to be done. Now, that being said, if it really is, if he is actually honest and kind, and, you know, I I do often wonder about our capacity in the wake of the abuse and the narcissism to truly know whether somebody is true, honest, and kind. Um, so... I also want to know how long you've been with this person, because if it's in the first three months, you literally have no idea because in the first three months, it's the honeymoon stage. It's all, everything's all wonderful. And, you know, everyone's on their best behavior, but it's only after the three months is over and you start to get into like real life that you really do know. Um, and you can start to learn. And it's not really until you've been with someone for at least nine months to a year um, that, you know, they call it like nine months, like the gestational period of a relationship that the cracks really start to show. It depends on how long you've been with this person, because I can't tell, I don't know if he's really true and honest and kind. Maybe he is. And if he is, and if it's been like six months and you're having these problems, what you can do is bring them to him and say, Hey, listen, and be really honest and vulnerable if it's safe to do so. And say, listen, I am having this issue and I know it's my issue and I, I am so sorry that I'm putting this on you and it's coming from my past and I want you to know that I am doing, you know, X, Y, and Z to, uh, to work through it. I'm in therapy. Um, I'm working with a coach. I am listening to podcasts. I'm reading books. I am doing everything I can to understand the trauma that I have gone through and I realized that it's also affecting our relationship. And so I want to take responsibility for that. And I also am curious about how we might be able to partner together if you're, if you're willing to, to help me get through this period where I'm feeling wonky, I am feeling insecure, I'm feeling like I don't trust myself, and I feel like I'm, I'm not, I don't trust you, and it's not because of who you are, it's because of my past, right? And so I just want to, I just want to be really open with you and talk about this. And, you know, and, you know, here are some things that would help me in this process, and I don't know what they would be for you, whether that's texting you more, calling you, making you feel more secure. Like, I'm not sure what the holes are, but if it's something that no matter what he does and he's doing everything right and you're still having these feelings, it could be that you really have more healing to do. And it could be that you need to say to this guy, listen, I so appreciate everything that you are and do because you're a wonderful man. And I'm not in the position to be able to receive it yet because I'm finding myself kind of spiraling and I need to go away. I need to put a pin in this. I, you know, I don't want to like end it or break up with you, but I need to put a pin in this 
because I got some more healing to do. I highly recommend going to the Meadows and doing their Survivors One program. It's five days of intensive therapy. That's like a year's worth of therapy in, in one. And it really was so pivotal and transformational for me. That's what I have to say about that. I think, you know, this is a complicated issue. You don't want to sabotage a great relationship. I don't know that if you know that if it is a good relationship, I actually don't know that you are able to to determine whether it's a great relationship or not. But if it is, I still think that there is work for you to do. And then if it is a stable and loving relationship that has sort of solid a solid foundation and solid roots to do that work together, right? This may be something that you two may go to couples therapy for. But if it's that soon in the relationship, like that's not really appropriate. So um, again, I think putting a pin in it and having... And doing your own work is your next, your next option. And now a word from our sponsor, the Divorce Survival Program. Now that you know that divorce is on the horizon, you need to get up to speed on how all of this works. Stat. You probably have a million and one questions swirling through your head from how and when do we tell the kids to will my ex and I ever get along again and just about everything in between. You've got legal questions, you've got financial questions, and you've got a whole host of questions about your kids. And that doesn't even touch how you'll start your life over again. Lucky for you, I have the answers to all of your questions. As one of the pioneers of the divorce coaching industry, I've been helping women navigate the divorce process for the last decade. And now, for the first time ever, all of my divorce wisdom is available in one online program. The Divorce Survival Program will help you process the emotional fallout of your divorce so you don't go into mediation bitter or resentful. It'll help you understand the difference between litigation, mediation, collaborative divorce, and identify which is right for you. It'll help you tell your husband you want a divorce in a way that doesn't keep you stuck in a circular conversation for the next three months. It'll help you tell your kids you're getting a divorce in a way that won't completely break them. It'll help you understand how your divorce will impact your friends and family and what conversations are appropriate to have with each. It'll help you create appropriate and healthy boundaries with your ex and learn about dating after divorce and how that will affect you, your kids, and yes, even your ex. But most important, the most important thing this program will help you do is protect your children from any unnecessary fallout from an ugly and contentious divorce litigation. And that, my love, is fucking priceless. So sign up today. Go to kateanthony.com slash getting divorced and don't forget to use the code DSGPOD for $50 off. That's DSGPOD, Divorce Survival Guide Podcast, because that's where you heard it. DSGPOD will give you $50 off. So once again, that's kateanthony.com slash getting divorced. And now back to our episode. Okay, next one. My husband had a three-year affair with a coworker half his age. She got him to pay for everything in her life through our bank account, including a monthly allowance and an apartment. I'm extremely triggered by this woman. He's still with her, and there's a strong possibility she will be my children's stepmother. 
I would like to hear how someone healthy and healed has handled this situation. This woman has proven herself to be disrespectful, untrustworthy, and greedy. My husband is an addict, and she is one of his addictions. He and I co-parent beautifully right now. Adding her to the mix would ruin all that we've accomplished. Please don't tell me that the more people to love my kids, the better. If she were someone else, it would be hard, but I could deal. Thank you for this question, truly. Because that is what I always say, right? (laughs) The more people to love your kids, the better. And that's a lot easier said than done in this particular situation. First of all, of course you're triggered by this woman. This is a horrific horrific breach of trust and you know by your by your by your ex and you know this woman i mean it's 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 terrible um so i will say that you said that you want to hear how someone healthy and healed has handled this situation i have not been in this situation what i will tell you by the way is that the amount of money first of all just from a legal perspective the amount of money that he paid to your Uh, to his mistress, uh, if it is a significant amount of money, he should actually, when in your divorce process, you did not ask this question, but I'm going to tell you anyway, in your divorce process, he should be compelled to reimburse you for the money that he spent on his mistress, because there would be more marital assets had he not been supporting another woman, and he spent marital assets on someone else. Like it would be one thing, like if he bought a car in the relationship, like there's nothing you could do about that, but spending money on a mistress. Um, sorry, I don't like that word. I, I, but spending, um, spending money on another woman while you are married with marital funds, um, is pretty egregious. And in some States you might be able to recoup that, that that wasn't your question. So she has proven herself to be disrespectful, untrustworthy, and greedy. Um, yes, and, right, you know, we don't know whether she demanded him to do that or if she, you know, if he offered, you know, probably men like this, right, he's love bombing her. He is you know, he is trying to prove his worth and his virility with money. And he probably offered all of these things. I don't know that she would have demanded it, but I mean, I don't know. Uh, And maybe you do know, but it feels to me like the kind of thing that a man does when he's trying to love bomb and woo somebody. So we don't know. I mean, obviously this is a woman who was having an affair with a married man and she knew it. So there's, there are issues there. And again, we never know what they're telling them. We never know what they're telling them. Nine times out of 10, he's telling her how awful you are, that you're abusive, that you just don't understand him, that, you know, you haven't had sex with him in years. I mean, all of this, all of the webs, the web of lies that men who are having affairs spin to lure in their uh, new supply and their, you know, the other woman, it is, um, it's astonishing. And we really don't know what he said to her. 
I often have a, I have a lot of compassion for these women because they are his new supply. They are the one that he is manipulating and luring in and will begin to abuse at some point. At some point, this person becomes yet another victim. So I am not trying to, um, you know, justify her or anything like that. I just think that there are more dimensions to these kinds of things. I think that, you know, adding her, you're co-parenting beautifully right now. That's great. And adding her to the mix would ruin all that we've accomplished. So the only way that it would ruin all that you've accomplished is if you let it. And before you scream at me and throw your phone across the room (laughs) while listening to this, here's the thing. She's going to be in his life. She's going to be in your kid's life, whether you like it or not. And I know you don't like it. And look, I don't like it either. I really don't. So this isn't, this isn't me being like, you know, oh, cut her slack. The bottom line is you have no control over this. You have no control over whether or not this man, this woman is, becomes their stepmother. And you have no control over the relationship that she's going to have with your children. And I hate that for you. I really do. I mean, I genuinely hate that for you. And your best recourse, because you have no control in any of that, is to set really clear boundaries for yourself so that you do not have to interact, so that you have as much separation as possible, and let him know. Let him know. Say, listen, we've been co-parenting really well together. If this woman ends up being a part of it, it is going to be, I am going to need more boundaries because I am still very hurt and triggered by the entire situation. And I've given you, you know, a lot of the benefit of the doubt and we have created this thing. But as soon as she comes in, it's going to be it's going to be harder for me. So I need you to know that if that happens, I'm going to have to create more separation between us because I cannot have it be with her. And I'm assuming that if you are co-parenting beautifully, that you're able to have that kind of conversation. You may not be. um, But whether you're whether you have that conversation or not, you can still set those boundaries. So keep your side of the street squeaky ass clean. You are not going to, you know, yell and scream when you see her at a school function. You're just going to cordially nod and then go sit somewhere else. You are going to literally plaster a smile on your face and you're going to you're going to keep it moving because you are the mom. First of all, you will never be replaced in that role, which I'm sure you already know, you're doing this for your children. So ruining all that you've accomplished would be a choice. It would be a choice. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it would be a choice. It is not what's best for your kids. It's going to be a lot fucking harder for you to rise above and be gracious and continue to co-parent with him and be civil for the sake of your children. It's going to be a lot fucking harder, but you can do it because it is what's best for your children. Because the alternative is that you blow the whole thing up. You know, you ruin all that you've accomplished and you blow the whole thing up. And in blowing it all up, your kids are stuck in the middle 
of chaos and resentment and bitterness. And then now they're having to choose like, and tiptoe around. And well, we can't tell mom that we saw so-and-so at dad's house. So we better keep quiet. And like, if we do say something, then, you know, you get upset or you blow up. Like, it's not, it is not, it's not their fault. It's not in their best interest to blow this up like that. It is far harder for you to rise above, keep a level head, process your emotions somewhere else, yell and scream into a pillow, you know, cry and scream in therapy, um, find the appropriate places to process your emotions. And then when you're in front of them, you rise above, you plaster a smile on your face and you just do it for the kids. It is far harder, but you can do hard things and it is for your children. That's it. It's not for him. And it's certainly not for her. It is for your kids. Okay, everyone. You know, I have two questions that are about shame and guilt. I'm going to read the one about guilt, and then I'll sort of touch back to the one on shame. So the one on, uh, well, the one on shame says that I'm mostly relieved that I'm almost divorced, but I'm feeling a lot of shame recently. So I'm wondering if you could do an episode <laughs> about divorce and shame. So very short and sweet. And then this is the one about guilt. And she says, I'm looking for your guidance on guilt. My divorce is almost final. I was married for 26 years to a very nice man. The breakdown of our marriage happened slowly over years, and it's impossible to explain it all. But ultimately, he is extremely passive, and I did everything, literally, both physically and emotionally. I held the family together by all by myself. Many attempts at counseling did not resolve our issues. I grew resentful and over time had zero feelings for him. Intimacy was non-existent very early on. Finally, now we are divorcing, but he didn't want the divorce. I feel like I'm leaving a lost puppy all alone in the woods to survive among the wolves. I feel like a horrible person, but can't stand being in this marriage. Why do I feel so guilty and how do I get over the guilt? So first of all, you are not leaving a lost puppy all alone in the woods to survive among the wolves. You are leaving a grown ass man who made choices to be passive and leave every ounce of labor in your marriage to you. He opted as a grown ass man to behave like a child. It makes absolute sense that you had no intimacy because he was acting like an infant and you became his mother. So sex with him, I'm guessing, would have felt very incestuous. So he is not a lost puppy. He is a grown-ass man who made a lot of choices in, his, in your marriage, and so did you. Um, so... I think you feel guilty because he behaved like an infant throughout your marriage and you f you feel guilty because he he appears like a lost puppy but he's not. So you can get over the guilt by rewriting the story in your head about who this man is and what he's actually capable of. Because most men who act completely inept so that we will take care of everything, are not so inept. They're actually quite capable. And as soon as we stop doing everything for them, they miraculously 
are suddenly able to do all the things that they pretended they couldn't do for so long. So I think getting over the guilt is about rewriting that story about who he is and about rewriting him in your mind and heart and psyche as an adult. And I know that he never felt that way in your marriage. He did not feel like a partner, like an equal adult partner in your whole marriage because he acted like a child, but he is. And so it's it's for you, it's about rewriting that story and rewriting the expectations. He will continue to act like the child that you allow him to get away with acting like. So he will continue to be inept and passive in your long into your divorce unless you start to view him as a perfectly capable adult and treat him as such. And that goes something like this when he's like, but I don't know how to and what do I you say? I'm sure you can figure it out. You are a smart and capable man and I'm sure you can figure that out. And you don't do shit for him. You just you just don't. You know, little helps here and there. My ex will still pretend to be inept about all sorts of things like the school and, and this, you know, the online portals, which are confusing, right? Le- legitimately are confusing. But I won't just do it for him. I'll say, yeah, you got to log into Schoology. And then in, in this place, there's this information and, and you go, go and find it. You'll be fine. And if you have trouble, ask, ask our son. I'm not going to do it for him. So you can be kind right? Because setting boundaries is about is about being kind. And it's actually, you know, as, as my friend Randy Buckley always says, setting boundaries with people is kind. You can kindly set boundaries, but it's also kind to them. It is kind to them to stop treating him like an infant and allowing him to continue to get away with his infantile behavior. It is kind to expect a grown man to grow up. And to get out of the way of him having to grow up because then he turns into a grown up and then he's capable and he probably will feel a hell of a lot better about himself as a capable adult he does not feel good about himself that he still feels and acts like an infant in his you know 40s or 50s or however old he is but if you keep doing shit for him and allowing him to be passive, he will continue uh, to feel like shit about himself. And then he will continue to behave like a lost puppy, and then you will continue to feel like you're abandoning a lost puppy. So expect him to be a grown-ass man. Treat him like a grown-ass man. And then you will not feel so guilty about abandoning a lost puppy because you will simply be divorcing a grown-ass man. So, okay. And so let's talk about the shame. So shame, it's a little bit different, I think. Shame is more, you know, that's about us, right? That's that's the feeling that we have inside. And shame is a very complex thing, actually. Shame, it's very often put upon us by other people, right? So people who are shocked that we were, you know, our marriage only lasted for a couple of years or people or, you know, people in our lives who don't believe in divorce and it's a shameful thing, right? And, and, and they put that on us and it is not actually ours. 
to bear. And so my question to you about your shame is that where is it coming from? If you can find the source of the shame, is it because people have judged you? Is it because people have said things to you? Is it because your mother made some snide comment? Is it about, is it because you come from or live in a very religious community and this is seen as a shameful act? And if that's the case, it's not your shame. It's the shame of the community that can't be with, you know, divorce or a woman standing up for herself and being happy. And they're looking at you and they're judging you for it because perhaps they are not standing up for themselves and making themselves happy. And the fact that you're doing it makes them feel ashamed about themselves. And then they turn that into judgment, which you absorb as shame. But that's not your shame. That's their shame. I hope that makes sense. Shame is very often put upon us by others. So when people judge us, it's because often we're reflecting something back in themselves that they don't want to see or they can't be with. And as soon as they feel that, they feel ashamed about themselves, and then they turn that around and they inject it into us, or you in this case. Finding the source of the shame, whether that's, as I said, the voice of a community, the voice of a parent, the voice of a a sibling, whatever it is, finding the source will help you be able to release that shame. All right, my loves, that's it for another Q&A episode. I still have a lot of questions, so keep them coming. I love it. Listen, guys, if you want me to answer your question on another Q&A episode, what I need you to do is to go to kateanthony.com slash questions. There is a form to fill out. I need you to keep it succinct. I received a couple that were many, many paragraphs long. I cannot read multi-paragraphed questions on the air. And also when they're multi-paragraphed, it means it's very personal and it's very much about your situation. And this is a podcast episode for everybody. So try to keep your questions as relevant as you can to, you know, to other people, but also concise. Please make them concise. (laughs) Okay. Um, So that's it. I hope you guys um, will join me in my Facebook group. Should I stay or should I go? If you don't know where it is, it's going to be linked in the show notes and you could just search should I stay or should I go in Facebook um, and it will come up for you. Again, April 11th, 12th, and 13th, I will be doing a live workshop, and I hope to see you there. It's 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, and put that on your calendar. Make sure to show up live, and I love you all. Thank you so much for tuning in every week. I am truly, truly so incredibly grateful for all of you, and I hope you have a fantastic, fantastic day. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.